Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. Welcome to this week's podcast. As always, it's a great privilege to study the Word of God together. This is Pastor Trey Graham in Texas, joining my friend Rabbi Dove Lipman in the land of Israel. And Hag Sameach, my friend. Thank you so much. Happy holiday to you. And I am feeling the holiday as we speak. I'm sitting outside my home, uh, inside our sukkah, the booth that we live in uh, for these seven days. You may even hear some noises in the background from time to time because there are other people in my building sitting out on their sukkah, including some families. So I apologize if that gets in the way, but it also gives you a little bit of a feel for the atmosphere here in Israel right now where everyone, it's evening time, they're out in their sukkah, they're eating dinner, they're having family time, and at a certain point, everyone will go to sleep uh, in their sukkah as well. And that's where I spend my time when I'm home during Sukkot. So I figured if we're talking, and especially if we're talking in words of Torah, then uh, let's do it from the sukkah. This is the seven-day festival known as Sukkot. In English, we call it the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it's one of those three pilgrimage festivals. We say in Hebrew, the Shalosh Regalim, where the Jewish people would travel from wherever they lived to the holy city of Jerusalem to visit the temple. And we know that as a man living on the earth, Jesus was a Jew, of course, and he would have participated in festivals like Sukkot. And so... Talk about what's going on. It's seven days, and so you do have to go to work, and there's some school, but there's holidays, and talk about all of the festivities this week. So the way the holiday is broken down, and you actually can see this laid out in the Bible itself, is the first day is a holiday similar uh, in nature to the Sabbath in terms of things that we refrain from doing, so we wouldn't be driving, we wouldn't be turning off and on lights, and there's a lot of time in the synagogue. And then we have six days that follow that in Hebrew are called Chol HaMoed, which is the weekday of the holiday. So there actually is no school in Israel, and many people do take off from work, and it's a time that people do a lot of traveling all around Israel. Uh, Today we were up north uh, as a family going through a water hike, and so it doesn't have the Sabbath atmosphere per se, but it's still the holidays. So you still, uh, whenever you're home, you spend your time in the sukkah, which is a temporary booth that we put up for these seven days made of four walls and a temporary roof. Uh, But we have fans in here and lighting and uh, a lot of other things to make it very livable. Uh, We also have the four species, which we take every single day to synagogue and use them. We wave these crops as we pray, acknowledging that everything that we have comes from God. And almost every night, there's something called the Simchat Beit HaShoivah. There is a party, rejoicing, dancing, a lot of that in Jerusalem, but all over Israel. And that is reminiscent of the same type of celebration they used to have in the temple uh, every single night uh, during the holiday of Sukkot as well. Celebrating God giving us the crops, celebrating God taking us out of Egypt, celebrating God's domain uh, in general in our lives. So it's a very festive mood and a festive time and really special atmosphere. And I have to mention 
that a lot of Christians come to Israel, tens of thousands for the Feast of the Tabernacles, and they have a big parade in Jerusalem, and they also celebrate uh, together with us. As you mentioned, there are many Christian pilgrims who travel from all over the world to be in Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, and this is actually a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 16 says, Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And remember in the Hebrew text or the Old Testament, as Christians would call it, whenever it speaks of the nations, that means it's the non-Jews. So Zechariah chapter 14 says the non-Jews will go up from year to year to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And here we are, you're witnessing it. All these Christian believers from around the world are fulfilling exactly what Zechariah said would happen. And that's, that's uh, again, another prophecy uh, amongst uh, so many, but this is so glaring, and I'm so happy, Pastor, that you brought it up, uh, to be living here and seeing it happening, something which I have to imagine for 2,000 years, people read that prophecy and said, that's not going to happen. How, how is that going to happen? We live in a world where Jews are being persecuted by the non-Jewish population. How is that ever going to happen that we'll be in Jerusalem uh, together again? And sure enough, it's happening right before our eyes, and thank God for that. Amen and amen. Another one of the many prophecies we're seeing fulfilled right in our lifetimes. Let's go to this week's Torah portion. We are approaching the end of the weekly Torah readings that Jews and many Christians around the world have been studying all through the year because it is Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. The reading cycle will start over again back to the book of Genesis. But we end at the last two chapters of Deuteronomy. Vazot Habraha and Braha is talking about blessings. So these are the blessings that Moses is giving to the tribes of Israel just before his death. And the last few verses of the book of Deuteronomy at the end of chapter 34 will discuss the death of Moses. And we've been talking about him passing the baton of leadership to Joshua. But as we begin, Rabbi, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 33. First verse, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. And we'll go through these quickly in a moment and look at the different tribes. But two things. First of all, this is the blessing which he gave before his death. So it's very much his last will and testament. But I want you to comment on his title, Moses, the man of God. It's an incredible title that's granted to Moses, and there's a lot of discussion as to why is that used here. Uh, Many commentaries say it's used here because it wants to emphasize that these blessings are not just Moses on on his own, but they really are inspired by God, and therefore whatever he says here uh, will absolutely uh, come true. Uh, this is a terminology uh, which is, you know, at times used for uh, prophets, angels, I should say, uh, men of God or the uh, beings of God, and it, it's quite remarkable to see him uh, captured uh, in, in this light. And actually, in the beginning of the portion, uh, he's called Ish Elohim, which is that terminology of God, of a God of, of justice. Uh, as it were. And then when he actually passes away, I'm going to jump forward for a moment. In verse uh, chapter 34, verse 5, it calls him a servant of Hashem, of Ado and Nai, which is a different name of God, almost a more intimate one. And it sort of captures 
the full expanse of Moses' relationship with God, that it was all-encompassing God of justice, God of mercy, uh, different terminologies, uh, but he was this person who, on earth, uh, obviously we can't embody God completely, but he was a person who you could experience God through him, and as we'll see later on, was the closest to God of any human being. And these are the blessings that really, it's like the father of the people, the founding father, if you want to use some government kind of language, of the nation of Israel, Moses, the one who received the Torah, the law from God, and now he is about to pass away. So he gives his blessings here in chapter 33, and it says in verse 2, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir and shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. Indeed, he loves his people. All your holy ones are in your hand. They have followed in your steps. Everyone receives of your words. And then it says, Moses charged us with a law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob. He was king in Jeserun, which is another name for Israel. When the heads of the people were gathered, the tribes of Israel together. And then starting in verse 6 of chapter 33, it goes tribe by tribe, which we'll talk about in a moment. But what, Rabbi, do we learn from this introductory comment? So there's a lot of discussion in the commentaries trying to figure out exactly what is uh, this introduction all about. How does that all work? There are actually some commentaries that say that there's hidden rebuke, actually, uh, in these uh, verses. So, for example, just to give you know one one little sense of where there could be uh, any kind of uh, rebuke, uh, you know, it describes that uh, places that it's describing here all relates to different stories that took place uh, with Moses and the people of Israel and times that they they complained and times that there were issues and Moses didn't want to say it outright. So it's said in a more hidden uh, type of, of, of manner. And that's uh, another lesson about Moses and how he offered rebuke uh, to the people. Uh, but it's setting a stage. It's setting a stage for something very important that's going to be happening. You know, he said God came uh, from, from Sinai and, and the whole buildup of the tribes and the holiness. And there's a lot of things that are happening here. And then this last statement, which you, which you focused on, which is very important to us, Torah Tzivala Numosha, and source number four, Morah Shaki Hilat Yaakov. That's actually, we have a tradition, it's what we, te- the first words we try to get our children to say as their babies that begin to babble uh, are these words, Torah Tzivala Numosha, that the Torah was commanded to us by Moses, that he's the one who brought it, this is the cornerstone of our faith, again, the Isha Elohim, the man of God, but that's part of the buildup here as well as he gets to the point where he wants to offer the tribes uh, their blessings or their prophecies. So our Jewish and Christian audience will remember the 12 tribes of Israel, that the people of Israel were divided into tribes based upon their family tree, their genealogy. You've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, and Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. We know that as New Testament readers, we understand that there was a divided kingdom. Many generations later, ten tribes of the north would be Israel, two tribes of the south would be Judah, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. But Rabbi, remind our listeners, why is Joseph not a tribe, but his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were made full tribes? 
an amazing and merry story uh, towards the end of Genesis where Joseph has been removed from his family for over 20 years from Israel. He's in Egypt uh, and rises to the level of leader uh, of Egypt. And he starts his family in the land of Egypt. And uh, it's definitely worthwhile going back to that story to really understand where God comes and says, Joseph, your two sons, even though they are grandsons of Jacob, they're going to be elevated to the level of tribes of Israel. And some of the commentaries say that's because since they were raised in Egypt, in impurity, they have to be sort of pulled up out of that. And that happens by them being raised to the level of, of tribes. Others say that Joseph was really supposed to be the firstborn, uh, as he was the firstborn of Rachel, who was Jacob's chosen wife. And the firstborn in our tradition gets a double portion, so he has two tribes, so to speak, uh, to his name. But it all relates back to that story in Genesis about Joseph and the issue they have with the brothers, and God either rewarding him, or God either trying to inspire them, or God crowning him as the firstborn by giving his sons the level, the status of being like tribes. As we look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, there are blessings and prophecies given about each of the tribes. Looking at verse 6, it's a very short one. May Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. What is the teaching from this short blessing? So the commentaries actually say that this goes back to a sin which Reuben committed uh, back in Genesis, where there's some issue where something happened with Reuben and uh, one of the, the maidservants or the uh, concubines of, of Jacob. And basically what he's saying is he will live and he won't die in the world to come. That's the way they understand he will live and he won't die. It goes back to Genesis 35:22. by the way, for those who want to see uh, the story. Uh, that's one possibility. Others say that Reuben, maybe one would think he should be punished because his tribe uh, decided to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan River and not go into the land of Israel. Perhaps one would think he's going to be punished uh, because of that. So either way, Moses is reassuring him that atonement has been done and their tribe will not be punished for either one of those. And then you get to verse 7, and it's regarding the tribe of Judah. As we said, Jesus is called in the New Testament the Lion of Judah. That's the tribe that he descended from. It said in this regarding Judah, so he said, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people with his hands. He contended for them, and may you be a help against his adversaries. So Judah is, uh, as you mentioned before, the Davidic dynasty. The kings uh, come from Judah, and you know, he's supposed to be very, very central to everything that's happening uh, in the nation. And therefore, if you notice, the prayer of Moses is very similar. If you go back, we mentioned that Jacob also gave blessings in chapter 49 in Genesis. He's basically telling him, your army should be victorious, but make sure that you rely on God. He's the one who will uh, listen to your prayers. It's not going to be your own strength, which is giving you those uh, successes. And we're just briefly looking at each of these tribes, but the blessings are very important that Moses gives them. Deuteronomy 33, verse 8, begins the tribe of Levi, in which we know the Levites come from this tribe, the assistants to the priest, those who helped conduct the services in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And talk about what the guidances are and the prophecies are regarding the tribe of Levi. So regarding Levi, uh, you know, first he begins uh, with, the, with the, the priests, Kohanim as we call them, 
and he talks about in verse eight the tumim tumecha v'urecha. Your tumim and urim. This is talking about the breastplate. Uh, which the high priest wore. You can look at Exodus 28:30 to see that. And he also gives him the title of my devout one, right? That that they're they're somehow the the righteous ones who are going to be serving uh, in the temple. So he's basically inspiring them to raise up to the level of being the servants of the people of Israel in the temple or in the tabernacle uh, before that. And in verse number nine. It actually talks about the, the selfless way in which Le, the tribe of Levi does its religious duties. Uh, it says not nothing to do with family ties. It has nothing to do with, uh, it has to do with their righteousness. It has to do with who they are uh, as people. They're not doing any kind of priorities for anybody because they know them. It's simply they're righteous people who are serving the people of Israel because they are servants of God. We continue to go through Deuteronomy 33, and now we get to the tribe of Benjamin, the youngest of the brothers. May, verse 12, the beloved of the Lord dwell in security by him who shields him all the day, and he dwells between his shoulders. An idea of intimacy here. Absolutely, and the commentaries actually jump to something very beautiful when it comes to this blessing of Benjamin. The temple... Uh, is located in Benjamin's portion of Jerusalem. And uh, a lot of the commentaries uh, talk about exactly what this means, that the temple was built in the Judean hills, and it's sort of like on Benjamin's shoulders. Uh, and some commentaries say that the temple wasn't actually built on the highest point of the land, but sort of a little bit below, just like a shoulder uh, can be below the head. Uh, but this is talking about the temple dwelling in the portion of Benjamin, which is exactly what took place. And now we get to verse 13, talking about Joseph. And we know that the two tribes, as we already mentioned, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh, this is the two tribes who become part of the 12 tribes, but we're not there yet. We're still talking about Joseph, the one who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who rose up to be the second in command in Egypt, as the rabbi has already described for us. And it says in verse 13, Blessed of the Lord be his land with the choice of things of heaven with the dew and from the deep lying beneath. It says the choice yield of the sun, the choice produce of the months, the best things of the ancient mountains, the choice things of the hills, choice things of the earth. Why so much blessing, so much favor here on Joseph? Yeah, so this goes back again. First of all, it incorporates the blessings of Ephraim and Manasseh, and they're very similar similar to Jacob's blessings back in chapter 49 of Genesis. And some of the commentaries say that Joseph... There was some issue of, of Joseph's territory in the land, and they need special uh, divine blessing to avoid some kind of uh, catastrophe. But a lot of commentaries say that eventually, if you look in the history, the ten tribes, the kingdom of the ten tribes, that sprouts from the tribe of Joseph, a very negative development that takes place later in history where they break away from the Davidic dynasty and Israel is divided into two kingdoms. You can read about that in the Book of Kings. And Moses feels the need to try to give them a, a, there's dangerous components of Joseph that, that could lead to bad things. And therefore, he wants to give all kinds of uh, additional blessings to them. Others go back to what I mentioned before, that Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel. And therefore, he's given very, very specific 
uh, physical blessings in terms of the bounty of the land and how much crops will grow, and that relates to his status as the for, as the firstborn. We continue on through Deuteronomy 13. Now we get to 18. It says, Zebulun, rejoice in your going forth, and Issachar in your tents. They shall be called... Or they shall call peoples to the mountains and offer righteous sacrifices, for they shall draw out of the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. So first comment on their blessings, but before that, why are they grouped together? Why don't they get their own sections? So here's an amazing thing, which is a beautiful concept. We have a tradition that Zebulun and Yisachar had a partnership, that Zebulun was engaged in business and commerce, and Yisachar was the one who sat and studied Torah, focused on spirituality, and they shared the blessing of the world to come together. One was supporting the other, and this was a special relationship which they had. And uh, that's certainly alluded to here, where they're mentioned uh, directly together. And then we get to the tribe of Gad in verse 20. Blessed is the one who enlarges Gad. He lies down as a lion. He tears the arm, the crown of the head. He provided the first part for himself. For there the ruler's portion was was reserved. And he came with the leaders of the people. He executed the justice of the Lord and his ordinances with Israel. A lot of power and authority in this section. Very much so, and, and the commentary is trying to figure out exactly what is uh, the role of, of this tribe and, and why uh, are they being given what seems to be a tremendous amount of, of power. Uh, some of the commentaries talk about that God was in the ter- territory on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and uh, perhaps that was some reason why they needed to be given that blessing, but the truth is, we have a tradition that God went ahead and, and led the Jews in battle. That was, uh, in fact, one of the conditions in them taking the land on the eastern side was that they would go and fight with the people. And therefore, uh, either it's to de- the, the need to defend themselves where they were, or probably uh, because they were the ones who were going to lead the people of Israel in battle, they have to be given this blessing of tremendous strength and power. And then we have a very short one, verse 22. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp that leaps forth from Bashan. And if I'm knowing my geography, Bashan is the area of like the Golan Heights in the northern Galilee region. The cows of Bashan or something talked about. What is the teaching here from the the section about the tribe of Dan? The commentaries, uh, again, with each one of these, uh, they try to figure out exactly what this is all about. So first of all, they were along the coast of the Mediterranean, and therefore uh, they were the first tribe that had to deal with any kinds of uh, people who came to the land uh, by sea. Uh, so again, he's described as a lion. Again, one of our commentaries talks about because he's one of the border tribes, therefore given uh, strength there uh, as well. So the, the, the reference to the Bashan, which you correctly said, uh, seems to relate to the uh, Golan Heights. Uh, and that's, you know, the Bashan uh, relates to the Jordan River uh, as well in the area bordering uh, Syria. So some commentaries say that was a very fertile region with a lot of forests and pastures. And therefore, uh, some of the commentaries say that they would, you know, they, they might not want to leave their comfortable boundaries to go fight and go help the rest of Israel because they live in a very lush area. Who wants to leave that place? But Moses is giving them the confidence and the strength to be able to do so. One of the things we'll do in a moment is compare Deuteronomy 33 with Genesis 49 when Jacob talks about the tribes. But I need a 
Hebrew lesson here, Rabbi. Verse 22 talks about that leaps forth from Bashan. And some scholars tell me that the word could be translated from Hebrew Bashan as a serpent. And then that's related to Genesis 49, 17. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. So my Hebrew's not enough to know. My Hebrew's not enough to know what (laughs) serpent is in Hebrew. So talk about Bashan and a serpent. So I think those commentaries are bringing that up because if you go back to the blessings of Jacob again in Genesis, I think there he, he, he also talks about Don uh, in, in a serpent type of relationship. And a lot of the commentaries say that this goes back to the story of Samson, who comes from the tribe of Don. You can read about that in the book of Judges, where Samson was a person who was in a stealth way, in a sneaky way, almost like the serpent and the snake, trying to protect the people of Israel, and it's related exclusively to that. So I assume if commentaries are bringing that up over here, uh, that that's what they would be referring to. So what is the Hebrew word for serpent or snake? Usually it's nachash uh, is the general term uh, that's used, uh, but it is possible that there's other terminologies uh, as well. All right, we're almost finished with our walk through the tribes here. Deuteronomy 33, verse 23. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, take possession of the sea and the south. So here again, Moses is very much focusing on the physical geography, on the territories. And Naphtali also had a place that was filled with uh, riches. It was very fertile and they had everything they, they possibly could desire. His territory was actually in the northwest of Israel, but actually extended uh, towards uh, the, uh, the, the Kinneret, uh, the, the Sea of the Galilee. According to the Talmud, he, they, he had an area around the south of the Kinneret where he had fishing nets. Uh, again, Moses is very much focusing on what they will focus on when they get into the land of Israel and settle in those, in those areas. And we get to verse 24, and of Asher, he said, more blessed than sons is Asher. May he be favored by his brothers. May he dip his foot in oil. Your locks shall be iron and bronze, and according to your days, so shall your leisurely walk be. And one commentary I read says, if you don't anoint your foot with oil, but you dip your foot in oil, that's an expensive luxury. So here again, uh, Moses is talking about their territory, how fruitful that was going to be. Again, Asher was a very large tribe, and Moses is blessing them that they should remain that way and not be diminished by by sin and also certainly have enough of a physical uh, gifts and and, and, and lush land uh, that they'll be able to do so. But yes, that dipping in the feet in oil is a metaphor for great, great wealth, uh, and commentaries certainly talk about that. So where is Simeon in this list? Ah, you asked, you asked the tough question. That's not fair. See, I was hoping that as we study, you wouldn't notice that omission and that I wouldn't have to answer that question. Um, the commentaries all discuss where is Simeon and what is going on. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 49, right in the beginning, I believe verse 5, um, Jacob just rebukes him and, and really God caught the sinners and the terrible uh, things that took place in numbers uh, uh, were caused by Simeon, and therefore it's basically ignored uh, over here. Uh, other commentaries differ, 
and say that the common the Torah always lists 12 tribes and never more. And, and therefore Moses had to, so to speak, omit one over here. And uh, you know, in terms of how it worked out, Simeon is omitted because he didn't actually have, uh, he had a very small population and he was scattered throughout the southern part of Israel without one specific portion. And therefore, since the blessings of Moses very much focused on the physical gifts of the land, so that's why he was omitted over here. And the last few verses of Deuteronomy 33, it really is the last speech, the closing paragraph in the leadership of Moses. And he says in verse 26, there is none like the God of Jesserun, which is again another name for Israel, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. He drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. So Israel dwells in security, the fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty? So your enemies shall cringe before you and you shall tread upon their high places. He really says, I'm leaving. I'm about to pass away. Trust in the grace and the majesty and the power of our God. Absolutely. And he's also telling them, set high standards for yourself. That's what he's talking about, the high places. Right? You should be on the highest of levels and go even higher. Uh, he wants to push them further and further and further. And that's exactly right. Okay, before we jump into the last chapter, which is 34, do a little bit of comparison for us between the Jacob blessings of Genesis 49 and the Moses blessings of Deuteronomy 33. The tribes are listed, some prophecies, some descriptions of them. Are there similarities and differences between the two lists? There are, and the commentaries really sometimes go one by one and try to see, you know, at different stages. Jacob was talking about uh, at a time when they were, uh, you know, back in Egypt, and and, and a very different uh, time period for sure, uh, in terms of when those blessings are offered. Uh, Moses is at the end of his life; they're now ready to enter the land of Israel. So, the the way these blessings are given and transmitted, and the the order that they're given in, all relates to the time period and the messages they were trying to give at those specific times. So I encourage our listeners to take a study time and compare the two chapters together. And as the rabbi said, the centuries, potentially. They're talking about a few hundred years in between them. And again, very different state. One place, it's a small family that's come to Egypt. And now it's this, this uh, huge nation that's on the verge of going into Israel. Let's come to the last chapter of the whole Torah. Now, not what Christians would call the Old Testament, or in Hebrew, the Tanakh, but the Torah, the first five books of Moses. We come to the very last chapter, Deuteronomy 34, and it's in third person now. The narrator is speaking. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. So we're on the east side of the Jordan River. The Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, which would be the Mediterranean, and the Negev in the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there a situation we've talked about a lot on this podcast. 
So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. And we'll finish in a moment, but I think one of the things to remember is that all people are guilty of worshiping man-made idols, and the fear here, I think, was that the world would revere Moses so much that they would worship him or his grave. And so the Lord buried him himself and no one to this day, even though there's tourist places that claim it, no one to this day knows exactly where Moses is buried. And it's exactly for the reason you said, Pastor, that uh, here's this person who was the closest to God, as I'll see in a few moments, and brought us the Torah at Sinai, and no one wanted there to be a mistake of worshiping him or his burial place as opposed to God. We have that emphasis throughout the Torah over and over again against idolatry, and we even saw the situation when Moses went to Sinai and didn't come down that they ended up with the golden calf. So this is one example where a human being on the highest of levels to make sure that he's not worshipped in that way, uh, to make sure that uh, he will not be worshipped and will not be in any way turned into an idol. Uh, We have no idea where he's buried. We get to Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim nor his vigor abated, meaning he was still in strong health. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab, again, not in the promised land yet, on the east side of the Jordan, modern day country of Jordan. They mourned for him. It says the days of weeping and mourning were for 30 days, and then they came to an end. And I believe the normal time for mourning the death of a loved one is seven days. You call that sitting Shiva. And so it's seven days of mourning for a loved one, yet the people of Israel are mourning for a full 30 days. Very much so. We do have a a secondary part of the mourning. We do have the intensive seven days of Shiva. There is something called Shloshim, which is the first month where we're not sitting at home or sitting on the floor and the extreme mourning, but it is an extended period of of a little bit lighter mourning as well. Uh, But certainly for a leader of this kind, uh, this was the 30-day period, and uh, you see how the people... Uh, you know, cried over over the loss, and, and there's actually a very interesting discussion about who wrote the last eight verses. Uh, the Talmud discusses this. One opinion says it actually was Joshua, because it says that Moses already died, and others say that Moses read it as, wrote it as a prophecy and wrote it in tears as he described his death and what will take place afterwards. And now we read the last few verses, 9 through 12 of Deuteronomy 34. This is the baton being passed joshua ben noon joshua the son of nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom for moses had laid his hands on him the sons of israel listened to him and did as the lord had commanded moses since then no prophet has risen in israel like moses whom the lord knew face to face for all the signs and wonders which the lord sent him to perform in the land of egypt against pharaoh all his servants and all his land and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And Rabbi, would that be fair to call that his obituary? Certainly uh, is the beginning of an obituary. I think that we have thousands of years now of tradition where the obituary continues, but in the Torah itself uh, very much. And I think uh, the emphasis on that he did before the eyes of Israel, all that he did for the people of Israel, that he was there as the messenger of God 
this was not a person who was building a career for himself, but was doing what God uh, commanded him to do. Uh, that's very much the focus over here, uh, as well as understanding that you know, there's never been someone like him. That's an amazing, amazing statement. No one ever had that closeness to God. No one can ever achieve that level of closeness to God. What that establishes is that no one could come around and say, we're going to change the Torah. Right now, the law is going to be this way instead of that way, because how could I possibly change what the person who was the highest possible level and no one ever reached what he taught? And that was establishing that in the Torah here as well. Well, before we continue, I want to say congratulations, Mazel Tov, to Rabbi Lippman and Pastor Graham. We've covered the entire year. We finished the Torah the study together on the parasha. And so before we talk about Sukkot for a last comment, Rabbi, what does it mean to you that a group of friends, a Christian pastor, a Jewish Orthodox rabbi, two friends have spent a year together studying the Bible? I think, first of all, it's been a remarkable process where each of us has been able to share our insights on the portion, also coming from the backgrounds of our faiths. And I think it also demonstrates the remarkable times in which we live, uh, where people of different faiths and even faiths that, you know, in history, they not always have the best of relationships, uh, to put it mildly, are able to put that behind us and focus on spirituality and focus on spiritual growth and focus on study together. And I hope that there'll be many more examples like this uh, out there for people to follow. And I certainly hope that the... Uh, podcasts that we have made of the the Bible uh, will be studied for a long time. Now that they're up on the internet, they're available, and uh, people have the access to be able to hear our insights and some of our thoughts, and hopefully uh, that can inspire them, and they can share that with their families as well, and the tradition uh, can continue. That's the beauty of the world in which we live, is that the information is out there, and never has to stop. And hopefully uh, we can continue uh, to be teachers even beyond the actual recording uh, of the podcast. And I have to say that for me personally, uh, it's been a tremendous uh, thrill. I've gained so much from it, a real spiritual high. And I thank you uh, so much for the blessing and the opportunity. Well, I say the same to you as my friend and my study partner, reading the Word of God and gathering insights into the truth of the Scriptures. It's been a privilege. Now, Rabbi, let's finish where we started. You are in your sukkah. You're outside. You can hear families and children and and some of the outdoor sounds. What does it mean to you to spend this time in studying of the Bible and being in your sukkah as you celebrate the Feast of Booths? The commentaries describe the sukkah as being God's embrace. It's almost as if we're within the clouds of glory that the that people of Israel had in the desert. And to then bring added spirituality by studying Torah, uh, it's really difficult to describe, and people might even have a hard time believing this. You actually feel spiritually elevated. It's like this, this, this booth, which I'm in right now, uh, is spiritual, is holy, and it's been such a joy uh, to be able to study Torah with you uh, from this place. Uh, one of the commentaries points out that there are two commandments that we can do with our entire body. One is living in the land of Israel, and one is living in the sukkah. And here I am blessed with the opportunity to do both at the exact same time as my entire being is in the sukkah in the land of Israel. And to do that while studying Torah is, is truly a blessing. To my good friend Dov Lippman, I say, Hag Sameach, Shabbat Shalom, Shana Tova. Thank you so much, Shana Tova, to you as well. Happy holiday. And-
and we will complete the Torah actually on the holiday of Simchat Torah, which is an additional day that we add at the end of uh, Sukkot. So that's an additional happy holiday as well, which relates directly uh, to what we've just accomplished. So certainly happy holiday and, and congratulations to Mazal Tov for what we've accomplished. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.